welcome to episode 17 of the Long Story Short podcast. I'm your host, Vicky Cornick. I am delighted to have the lovely Orla Swan, who also goes by the health pun, on today's podcast. Orla is a nutritionist and health coach from Dublin and currently lives in Sydney, Australia. She has been coaching women since 2020 and specializes in hormones, gut health and relationship with food and body. It was through Orla's own personal experience with IBS and PCOS that has led her to what she's doing today. And she is incredibly passionate about helping women shift out of survival mode into feeling like they are truly thriving. I find this chat with Orla fascinating and I know you will too. So I really, really hope you enjoy. I'm so, so happy to have you on the podcast. And before we get into the podcast though, Orla, I would love for you to tell our listeners who you are, what you do and who it is that you work with. I haven't been asked that question in a while. I'm like, who am I? What do I do? <laughs> um, my name is Orla Swan, also known as The Health Hun on Instagram, um, my podcast, website, etc., etc. Um, I am a nutritionist slash health coach and I specialize working with females in relationship with food and body image, um, hormones and gut health. How did you get into the industry? Um, just through my own struggles really. So I've got both IBS and PCOS. Um, I've had eating disorders throughout the years. Um, I've had multiple like unexplainable symptoms. Um, and just, I I did a science degree first, so I wasn't, this was not my chosen career path at all. Um, I just was really interested in it. I would have been very much like extreme fitness kind of fitspo lifestyle like if it fits your macros overtraining under eating all that jazz um but then it would have progressed to trying to like I suppose the conditions that I have they're not curable so anytime that I got treated it was always like oh there's nothing we can really do just kind of do these things and you might get symptom improvement and it never would have really helped so I was always like there has to be something more to this um because I did science as my degree it just really is in me to kind of question why about everything um so yeah I went and did a nutrition course after my degree and then during lockdown I just absolutely winged it and set up the business and here I am today (laughs) amazing lockdown like while it seems kind of you know a distant memory it's actually not that long ago like so that's amazing and I always I love hearing from people that they've had their own experience with certain things and you know maybe they started on a career path that they originally thought they were going to get into and they found health and fitness I think that's just so inspiring and so amazing and also something I think is so relatable and I think a lot of coaches go through this is they've had their own maybe like negative experience with exercise or like like you said over exercising and you know an unhealthy relationship with food and that kind of certainly for myself as well like it was the learning of being a personal trainer being a a health coach that helped me improve my relationship with food and helped me you know improve my relationship with exercise and myself so I love to hear that and that's something I can I can definitely relate to um so I wanted to have you on particularly to discuss IBS because I know this is one of the things you are um incredibly knowledgeable on and something that you talk a lot about on your Instagram so to start with for anybody that doesn't know what is IBS and how how can you be diagnosed with it 
Um, yeah, so IBS is a gut brain disorder um, and there's like three areas you have to look at. A lot of people think it is just based on, um, you know, constipation or diarrhea, um, but there is the gut brain elements to it. So we've got a vagus nerve that goes from our brain to our gut and vice versa. Um, so that means your nervous system is involved with any sort of interaction with your gut. A lot of people think it's just about the food that they eat, but it's to do with stress, self-talk, relationship with food over exercising not getting enough sleep rest and so on um there's three i suppose to get diagnosed you do need to meet the criteria there's a specific i think it's the rome four criteria that it's on now um it kind of changes from time to time so i don't know when <laughs> this will change at some point in the future but it is essentially a criteria that you must meet in order to classify as having the symptom because people can have chronic constipation they can have chronic diarrhea but they may not have um ibs okay so you have got you have to have the cramping that is typical with IBS I think it's I think at the moment it's once a week that you need to have it at least to be classified now like I suppose this is when it's at its worst tends people and people go for the diagnosis and that's kind of when they'll find it but what I'm finding is it's interesting. A lot of people have been listening to my content um, or listening to the podcast or something like that. And they'll come to me having implemented like a good chunk of the information that I've given out. And then they obviously need a little bit more support working through the rest of it. So for them to actually meet the criteria because they've put some changes in place, they don't actually meet it, which is very interesting. Um but to get diagnosed, typically you go to the doctor and it's based on ruling things out. So it's based on an exclusion. It's diagnosed. So you may have to get like, and it's worth getting the test done as well, because you just never know. Um, You may have to get a gast- or gastroscopy or colonoscopy, not a gastroscopy, a colonoscopy um, to rule anything out more sinister. Um, There may be other tests. Some doctors are doing other tests for like um breath tests, still tests and stuff like that as well. Um, But you can once you get the diagnosis or once you reel those out you can get the diagnosis from there essentially okay interesting and correct me if I'm wrong but like IBS is incredibly common with a lot of people um and also correct me if I'm wrong but I think a lot of people can maybe suffer with stomach pains and it's immediately like I've got IBS but I think you've really clarified there like it is a diagnosis that you know there are tests certain tests to be done to diagnose it as opposed to saying my stomach hurts you know this is IBS because I definitely I definitely hear that you know from from a lot of people um so you talked a lot about like the um gut mind you know relationship that there is um and that people think it's usually just in relation to foods and drink but are there any foods and drinks in particular that can trigger symptoms of IBS or would it be just different for everybody? Um, so yeah, so there are typical FODMAPs, but what I always say to people is not to start with looking for the trigger foods. So this is the typical approach. You go to the doctor, you get told to do the FODMAP diet, you look it up on Google, you get told to do the FODMAP diet to cut out dairy, to cut out gluten, to cut out all these things. And my first intervention is not to cut things out is not to restrict because majority of people are already restricting majority of people already have got that anxiety about food because you know what like what we try and do is try to protect ourselves so any behavior that we do 
can come from trying to feel pleasure, avoid pain, or comes from some sort of emotion driving it. Okay. So if you're trying to avoid pain, you're obviously going to look at the meal you just had. If you have symptoms such as bloating, constipation, diarrhea, cramping, you're going to say, okay, there's something in that meal that caused this issue or this symptom. So we try to rule it out and say, okay, obviously someone told me one time it was dairy. Someone told me one time it was carbs, sometimes, whatever, whatever thing we've heard from someone's second cousin twice removed. And we go on this hunt and look at our food. And what happens is then you trigger the gut-brain connection, okay? So you're no longer looking at food as just food. You have this emotional attachment to food. Um, and you've shifted into your fight or flight most likely. So this is what people don't consider. And if you've got IBS, you want to be keeping your nervous system, not in your state of fight or flight, but in your rest and digest, in your parasympathetic that supports digestion um, and that supports keeping these symptoms under control. So I do obviously look at the likes of FODMAPs, which are fermentable carbohydrates. There's a big long name that the FODMAP stands for, but I'm not going to try and butcher it. It's like fructo fructo oligo saccharides da, 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 da. so you can look it up yourself I learning that in like my nutrition course and I was like I thinking that I needed to know every single word in the nutrition area like, I remember this and then I was like you don't need to know this no, nobody's gonna know nobody needs to know um so yeah I was the exact same but you really don't need to know and like what I will say to people is like if you've got IBS like don't try and do all this shit yourself because you will have that placebo or the nocebo effect it's called so people might have heard of the placebo effect whereas you can take something and you convince yourself that it has a benefit so people can like when you're doing um trials for drugs or for whatever um people will have a control in it so that like it's like a sugar pill or something like that versus the actual medication or whatever it does it's, it's in psychology and stuff it's not just to do with um, medication but there's always a control to rule out the placebo effect because of the power of our brain so the opposite is true with the nocebo effect is where you can convince yourself something can cause you harm so like quite literally you can convince yourself so much so that you're like i said in that your flight and you have that reaction to that food because you're sensing that that food is dangerous um and this is the harm of going in that road first okay but FODMAPs what they do is they will uh interfere with basically your gut microbiome which is a combination of um gut microbes in your large intestine um typically we want the kind of good ones thriving there will be an element of some bad ones but not harmful ones so obviously if you've got harmful ones there such as a parasite or helicobacter pylori or h pylori for short you'll fucking know about it (laughs) so it's really like they're the harmful ones but we will have certain ones that are there and we want the good ones to be thriving okay so i'll come back to that in a second but essentially your gut microbes can trigger um, some sort of reaction like flatulence or gas or cramping with with those FODMAPs and that can look different that could be like onions that could be like broccoli that could be like garlic that could be there's multiple different ones of types of those and each letter of the FODMAP so the F O D etc they all stand for a specific um type of carbohydrate and certain foods will fall into that classification so you may be reactive to one type of food so for example i'm reactive to um 
beans had to have a bean breakup and it was really sad because I love my beans great source of fiber and protein but they cause yeah I know they cause havoc though so whenever I'm having my Mexican burrito well I have to not have beans and it's a very sad affair but this this is where people will not understand so like I have some clients that can't have dairy they can't have the lactose I can tolerate dairy no bother no issues at all um I have some clients that can have beans no problem so it just depends and this is where it becomes very personal and very very individual and very specific okay and that should be something that you do and you test later on okay it shouldn't be something that you just go straight into one because it's very restrictive and people tend to have a poor relationship with food anyways if you already have some sort of binge restrict mentality with your food and you're going straight into a restrictive mindset that's going to trigger your gut brain connection that was actually going to be one of my questions do you see a common trend of people coming to you I know you work a lot with clients on their relationship with food anyways but just when you were talking about the restrictiveness that people you know, almost become fearful of the foods that they're eating because it's causing them so much discomfort and pain. It, it it can, just from my experience, sometimes trigger this, oh, well, I know that I just can't have any carbohydrates regardless because they just affect me. And then there's almost that dieting fear yeah. of carbohydrates. Is is that quite a common occurrence? Yeah. So what I say is like, we, we kind of look... Th- at food through lenses so we've got like a diet culture lens we may have a digestion lens people now kind of looking at hormones or like pcos or anything like that they're looking at it through that lens you've got all these this conditioning all these influences all these rules and myths that people are kind of giving this advice online as well there's so much like these kind of short videos that people are giving out and they're like don't do this and have this and it's it's to catch people's attention it's for marketing but it's also not given full context and context is really really important with nutrition so people are identifying then these like black or white rules that they must live by when it's so specific like something that's really really basic and simple is artificial sweeteners are not good for IBS okay typically some some again they're a type of polyol they're a type of FODMAP not everyone is going to have it but majority of people with IBS and the average person as well will have a reaction to artificial sweeteners like I said not everyone um but what you'll see online with the fitness industry is like don't have any sugar always have artificial sweeteners why would you waste your calories don't drink liquid calories blah 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 okay if I have artificial sweeteners they will fuck me up quite literally and I will have um I will have a lot of issues that are bad for my health okay so in the context of IBS and inflammation for me personally artificial sweeteners are bad and I could go on to Instagram and say, okay, well, I thought sugar was better for me in this instant, but sugar is really bad. Now I can't eat anything. And there's this kind of paralysis that you're like, I don't know what I can and can't eat. So this is where relationship with food can really massively come into and impact IBS. Yeah. And and like you said, like, that's why you don't have to go with this alone. And I, that's kind of a message I'm constantly repeating on this podcast is like, people think they need to diet alone or they need to you know solve their hormone problems alone or their IBS problems alone there are there's a reason why there is the likes of yourself and there's the likes of many other people that I've had on the podcast and myself is because it's our job to help you and it's our job to support you and I think a lot of you know a common trend is people just not having that support and I, I going off topic but I was chatting to um Michelle from Michelle Hone from the Fit Clinic and she was talking about um nutrition for fertility and she was saying you know 
she doesn't know why this can sometimes happen, but clients coming to her who are, you know, struggling to get pregnant. And it's almost like a couple of weeks. She's like, there's no way we could have implemented any physical, you know, change necessarily, but all of a sudden they fall pregnant in the first couple of weeks of her working with somebody. And I, she was saying, it's just a mad coincidence. It's almost like they have, um, and I, I always butcher the saying, but a, a problem have, or what's the problem half problem is a problem solved. That's a problem half. <laughs> and I, I really kind of, you know, I, I always want to send out that message is that like, I was definitely that person when I started was like, I want to lose weight, you know, and I can do it by myself. And, and now I'm like, no, I'm asking everybody, you know, in the world for all the help I can get. And I think that's just a really important, important thing to, to note. Mm, I think um, people have trust issues as well. Like if they go to the doctor, especially for the likes of hormonal or gut health issues, and they're not met with any support, they're obviously not going to go to someone outside. Like there's this kind of hierarchy that doctors are seen as like the best in society, the most knowledgeable, the ones that are meant to solve every single medical problem. When in, the system is kind of outdated and I'm not going to start bashing doctors on the podcast. I've been there, done that. No, I agree. When it comes to diet and exercise, it's outdated. I think that's a very good way to to summarize it. Mm, and then like if people have been trying to get support that way, they might have spent more money. They might have been like almost gaslighted and made feel like that there's nothing, like, told that there's nothing wrong with them. And even they might have got blood tests that come back as like inconclusive and there's nothing wrong with them. But they know themselves that there's something fucking wrong with their body. This is where they're like, okay, well, who else can actually help me now? So I do, I totally get it. And I have been there myself. And like, I've gotten to where I am today by doing this myself, but I really, really don't recommend it. This is why I do what I do. <laughs> that's that's amazing. And like you were only saying, like it's true personal experience. I think you you find I wish there was somebody like myself to yeah. you know, when I was going through this problem or this struggle to help me. And that's essentially I think why a lot of people go into the industry. So mm. that's that's amazing. So when it comes to IBS, obviously, like you touched on, a lot of people are going to have different symptoms or, or different, um, I suppose, triggers and, you know, need to maybe go about different routes than others. But is there a general kind of idea or list of things that people can do in order to better manage their symptoms? Um, yeah, so I suppose if you kind of think about, I suppose awareness and understanding really helps people and helps them, like, a lot of people are just like it's the unknown that's freaking them out like do you have a fucking tumor in your stomach do you have like what is it that's in you causing these symptoms what food is it that's and it's this freaking out that constantly triggers that nervous system okay so the more you learn about your body and you understand the more likely you are to feel a little bit calmer and safer okay so three elements I always tell people about is the gut brain connection gut motility and the gut microbiome. So we spoke about the gut brain connection and you want to be supporting everything that could potentially trigger your nervous system. So improving your relationship with food, looking at your self-talk and your body image, looking at any sort of stressors and stress is like such a massive thing in itself. Stress can come from like multiple different sources. It's not just like financial stress or relationship stress or work stress. It can be actually like not getting to bed on time. It can be rushing around all the time. It can be... um different I'm trying to think of other other sources of stress now but you know just simple things of like not looking after your own human needs feeling safe within yourself feeling anxious unprocessed trauma there's lots of different driving factors for you to be in that kind of 
fight or flight state or that stressed out state all the time so it's really really important that you do manage that um next with gut motility this is a very common one that people won't look at and your gut motility so essentially you've got your thyroid gland that's in your neck and this can control the rate of which everything um moves i suppose your metabolism um and you've got your muscles that will go along your esophagus and through your intestinal tract and they will move food along at a specific rate if you're not getting enough calories so you're not getting enough energy or supporting the thyroid even from high stress or from really really low carbohydrates you're not going to be giving your body um enough energy to make the hormones that will support moving this along so a lot of people will get diagnosed by a doctor with a sluggish bell it's not a thing <laughs> just for anyone listening it's not a thing um like it's really really not it's just your your metabolic rate needs to be supported your body needs maybe to pull back on a little bit of stress and so on um but different things can trigger that as well so like you can kind of have extremes with like exercising too much doing too much high intensity training that does really doesn't suit people with ibs and you could also be a bit of a couch potato and you're not getting any sort of movement in there as well and you could have stimulants such as um you know people tend to think that having like a black coffee will help them go they need their morning coffee maybe they're even taking laxatives and all these things kind of while they may feel that they're giving you symptom resolution in the short term, they're not actually improving the bigger issue and supporting getting your body's natural rhythm back to doing what it's meant to do. Um, so that's a really important aspect to consider. And I think a really common thing with IBS is I will see a lot of um, people, because they're in fight or flight, they're very much scared to pull back on the training. They very much feel like they need to be preoccupied with moving and doing and being productive and getting in all their sessions. And that's a very big problematic area if that is the case like if you feel like you're trying to relax like if you set yourself 15 minutes and just try to sit still and you find yourself like urges to do things and move and you feel almost anxious that's like a big red flag about your nervous system that needs a bit more support I feel seen (laughs) (laughs) that's that's something that I, I definitely definitely struggle with and like it's so hard isn't it because when you're talking health and fitness like we're the, the majority of, you know, information is like exercise is great, you know, you know, eat your fruit and veg and, you know, keep moving and all this, because obviously we're kind of, you know, maybe aiming that message towards people who are sitting on the couch or sitting at a desk all day and not getting any movement into their body and, you know, not having a structure with their nutrition. But I always find it so mind blowing how the fitness industry can just be like on a total other end of the spectrum <laughs> that, like you said, our, our body's living in this stressed state constantly and I definitely can fall into that trap or have fallen into that trap and sometimes have to pull myself back out of it where I'm like why am I exercising is it because I'm trying to deal with other stressors that I'm like exercise is the answer and just I better train I better train really hard and that feeling of like I just can't sit still and I think like that awareness is great to have and exactly what you're saying like we we think it's just going to be like this physical kind of stress of like oh my body's tired but it's so internal as well Mm. which can have a huge effect on our gut and and from what I think what's been you know what's come out over the last few years in in health and nutrition like our our gut is the second brain like it is huge uh of huge importance for for our overall health which is just crazy because I I know even when I got into the fitness industry I was like oh yeah good health whatever it's kind of this you know little fad kind of thing that people love to talk about (laughs) and I think it can be to some extent but like it is so important 
yeah there is definitely some fads and some myths and like I'll still get clients coming to me and they'll be like I'm doing intolerance testing and I'm doing colonics and I'm doing all these things I'm like please stop please stop just just pause for a sec um I suppose it's really important to mention as well for people they always think that getting an intolerance test is going to show you your triggers intolerance tests are a lot of shit and they're not based on sound science they are a scam so yeah just for anyone I was going to say could we go into intolerance testing a little bit (laughs) people think it's the solution to their problems and it's it's really yeah yeah no there's so basically they kind of base it off that there's like a specific antibody there's like different antibodies like IgA, IgG, IgM and so on I'm not going to go into all that because nobody needs to know that Um, basically there is different antibodies and they're claiming that the test that they do proves that you are intolerant to a food but what it actually proves is that the presence of that food has been in your system so it's actually it's a lot of shit basically and like I love when a client comes to me after getting intolerance testing done because we will actually go through that list and reintroduce them and they will see this very long list of foods that they were once intolerant to they're no longer intolerant to like things like mushrooms and tomatoes and all this kind of stuff some of them can be FODMAPs and absolutely they could be a trigger but the likelihood is that they're absolutely not. And my favorite one to reintroduce with people is dairy and show that it is safe. Of course, mm-hmm. people do have, like there's two, I suppose, reactions to dairy. You can either be lactose intolerant, which is common with IBS, um, common, but not like the most part. Um, like I do have a lot of clients that can tolerate dairy. Um, mm-hmm. And you can also have an inflammatory response to certain proteins and dairy as well. So there absolutely are people in the population, but like, like I follow, and I only follow because I like to hear what the other other people say, um, the contradicting opinions basically. And there's just one or two <laughs> people who shouldn't be on Instagram, but basically they're like everybody is lactose intolerant. Once we learn this and we wake up, and I'm just like, that's just not fucking true. Like, of course you're going to be lactose intolerant if one you fear it and it creates a, mm-hmm. a reaction to it, or two if you remove it for a period of time and then reintroduce it, your ability to process it then has been affected. So like a lot of the things that they do is just fear mongering basically. And it's just, it's not necessary at all. It's so harmful. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know, will it ever, and I suppose there's no point in me even like worrying about, will it ever, you know, be solved? It won't. But yeah, I, I think like, it's just, you know, kind of one of my, my questions was like, when it comes to, which is further down the line, but when it comes to, you know, supporting people and, you know, helping people manage, you know, discovering that they, they might have IBS. I think one of the things is like follow the people, which can be hard. And like, I've definitely followed the quote unquote wrong people in the past, but like following the people that, you know, are putting out sound information and it's generally, and I, I can't seem to ever figure out the word for it, but it's people who kind of like shout this message of, this is the way there's the only way to get x results and you know I I feel almost like oh my god I'm like targeted or like I'm you know on the defense mode when people are like sending this really just harmful message um so I suppose it's for people to just maybe be more aware of that that if somebody's so set in their ways and they're almost kind of aggressive isn't the word but I think you know what I mean like just yeah 
Yeah, like, I, I think the people, like, if anyone is practicing, like, extreme approaches, basically, and this is, like, very black or white, this is the way that things are, versus mm-hmm. you'll hear me talking about context quite a lot. You'll hear me talking about a certain situation for one person that might not apply to another person. And that's mm-hmm. me being open-minded, but also having the experience and awareness that not everyone is the same, that people yeah. have different backgrounds, people have different um, hormones, people have different trauma, people have all sorts of different things that can mm-hmm. affect them that caused them to be the person and shaped them to be the way that they are today so it's really like it's and also there are some I used to always say it's just extreme measures but I have started to see people now who do talk about a lot of good things but then they will have this kind of underlying sprinkle of basically misinformation and I think those are the ones that are difficult for people to talk about and there'll be a lot of people on like podcasts very popular podcasts now and they're bringing these big experts in and about 80% of their information is good information but then they will come back around with this misinformation that is not true and it's like twisted evidence basically um I won't even go into kind of like the evidence side of things because that's a whole podcast a whole day but um you know they twist and manipulate for their own agenda and it can be because they're selling something like a book or a cookbook or um they're trying to put fear-mongering in and it's always these kind of like stories of like you need to like the big big companies are poisoning us with these foods and all this kind of shit. And it's just like, no one's trying to poison you. Like nobody's trying to poison you. Like take a day off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, please just rest. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I totally get that. And I think it's so hard because I, I kind of, I think I kind of know what you mean with like really big podcasts, like having those people on and it just gets that, that message out to so many more people and has, I've looked at the comments on a few of like those videos of people, you know, short snippets, like I'm all about context as well. Hence why this is the long story short podcast, because <laughs> someone asks me one question and I answer in a 20 minute long voice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and exactly what you're saying. It's not for, there's no one specific answer for one person. It's, you know, we always need to, and I like to give examples of other scenarios where you might apply certain things. Anyways, long story short, I've looked at the comments on those kind of videos and it's just people so confused and it's people like, but I thought this was the best way yeah. to do this. It really, it's, it's really sad. I mean, I could talk all day about that. Um, but yeah, and it's, it's, I can imagine really frustrating for the likes of yourself. That's like, this is what I spend my time doing and working on with people. And then I see somebody with millions of followers just post this one thing and it's like getting all this attraction. But again, <laughs> we could go on all day about that. Yeah. But those, before we kind of move on to the last few questions, um, is there anything as we, we talked, like it's from what I have, you know, listened to you saying it's, it's mainly stress that we need to work on when it comes to our um, gut health and our, our IBS symptoms. Is there anything else or is there anything more specific? So we were kind of saying, you know, people think it's, you know, they need to exercise more and that's kind of, you know, but that's driving that stressor. Is there anything else that you'd suggest or that's, you know, maybe worked for you that or with clients that you feel people should start implementing? 
yeah of course of course for gut health you need to be like inclusive of foods that will support your gut health as well so like i said it is appropriate to look at triggers as such or intolerances but it should come after you've done the groundwork of looking at stress looking at sleep looking at hydration relationship with food body image all those kind of things that support the gut brain connection and gut motility um and you will then because what the way i describe it is it's like your body is on fire okay your gut's on fire and if you go trying to test I always kind of butcher this explanation, but sometimes I get it right. <laughs> it's kind of like your body is on fire and you're throwing some foods into the fire to see if they go on fire, to see if they're going to cause a reaction. If your body's already on fire, anything is going to go on fire. Anything that probably you wouldn't even think is flammable will probably go on fire because it's a fire. Okay. So it's like try and put that fire out to the best of your ability first and then test to see if there's reactions. So that's why I will not look at triggers and intolerances first. Um, we'll really try to work on the ground, the groundwork, uh, the basics, mastering those basics first, and then looking at intolerances afterwards, if there needs to be as well. Now, obviously, people with IBS tend to have FODMAPs, but you'll be able to see a lot more clearly rather than this big restrictive diet that can impact the person and a lot of people as well tend to have issues with disordered eating if you go on this big restrictive diet it is going to impact that as well but for gut health you need to be supporting with optimal fiber as well and there's different types of fiber so there's soluble fiber and there's insoluble fiber so you know if you so soluble fiber basically will absorb in water and create like a gel like consistency so that creates like um an outer layer that can help still move along a little bit more smoother of a transition um and then you've got insoluble fiber which can kind of make the bulk so people can have constipation and diarrhea from having either too much or too little of one or the other so it's really important that you're looking at the appropriate fiber types um it's really important that you're also incorporating an adequate sources of fruit and vegetables nuts grains pulses and so on your gut microbes we need to keep the good ones thriving and have them feeling good as well and they love diverse range of fruit and vegetables so you probably heard the phrase eat the rainbow it's appropriate for your gut microbiome so a lot of people especially in the fitness industry will just look at macros and protein and fiber and carbs uh, or sorry, not even fiber, but they'll they'll forget about fiber or they'll even forget about their fats because they were like that's too high calories your hormones need fats and your digestive system needs fiber and it needs the diversity of the different like even for example of a micronutrient in berries polyphenols flavonoids and stuff like that that's not a macronutrient you can track but your your gut microbes need that to support them and for them to be thriving so it's just about having a different look at food and trying to see what am I not including in my diet instead of this very restrictive, does this fit my macros? Okay, I've got 200 calories left. Let's go tuck into the Halo Top ice cream or whatever. It's like, okay, did you get any vegetables in that day? Any fruit, any fiber, any nuts or seeds? Like, God forbid you eat some nuts or seeds because they're too high calorie, you know? <laughs> and that was literally what I was going to say. Like, obviously, you know, if I have a client that comes to me for fat loss, you know, I might give them a calorie target and a protein target. Um, but there's so much more to that. And I think that's what people, you know, learn when they work with a, a coach. And I don't want to say like that I'm the best coach in the world or anything, but like a good coach that actually cares about, you know, it's not just down to numbers. And when we explain that to people and like, you know, you do sometimes get people who are a bit caught up and oh, I went over my calories and, you know, maybe I should cut out, you know, the nuts and the seeds or whatever. And it's like, actually, 
I don't really, you know, that's, that's okay. That's fine. You know, I, I like to, you know, say to people, if they express that worry or that stress, it's like, think of it as like nutrients, like you're getting more nutrients into your body instead of thinking of it as just calories. It's think of it as nutrients. And I think that's a really helpful approach to have. And it's one that I've kind of changed my mindset on. Like I used to be exactly what you were saying at the start, like a macro counter and just this is a protein, this is a carb, this is a fat. And cool, if it fits my macros, then I'm good to go. And it's like, my just opinion has changed so much on, you know, nutrition. And I don't count calories anymore. And I count nutrients, if anything. And I'm like, okay, cool. Got like, I love my veg. So it's maybe a little bit that like easier, but there won't be a, a meal that I don't have a source of fiber in. And it's not because, you know, to some extent, I think if people feel like they have to, then, you know, you, you kind of have to, because again, gut microbiome is really important. But for me, it's, it's, you know, it's just a routine. It's just a structure that, that I have, but um, yeah, way off topic from me there, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. And like that, yeah. Focusing more on the nutrients as opposed to just the calories, I think is, is really great. Um, so I suppose, um, can we touch a little bit on bloating? Cause I know that's like a really, like I probably get asked this or express this once a week in a check-in by somebody and it's like I'm bloating this is a severe problem and it's and you know in my opinion it's like at the end of the day when they're feeling this and it's kind of like okay well you know unless you're like severely severely uncomfortable cramping and like in pain bloating can be normal to some extent so I'll let you kind of talk us through that yeah absolutely and bloating is normal I think what people forget is when you eat food it goes into your stomach you're just eating a plate of food it has to go somewhere so if your stomach expands a certain amount that's normal <laughs> so it doesn't go into this black hole and disappear obviously as you start to digest it as you start to break it down it goes into like a bit more of a liquid but your stomach is going to increase in size okay so it's like a little fist that is going to expand and that's a normal process okay so people freaking out because of body trends on instagram flat tummy etc etc and it might not have even been the food that triggered you it might be your perception of your stomach expanding that's triggering your gut brain connection increasing cortisol into your stomach and that's creating that bloating and distension from there as well okay so there's also a difference between bloating and distension bloating is normal it can be as a result of not eating mindfully it can be as a result of being in a stressed out state um or like i said it could just be from eating a big meal um distension is very very different it's that really really swollen um really really like a lot of people compare it to being like nine months pregnant kind of thing. Um, and someone, someone, I recently read a comment. It was like, why do we need to feel the need to compare to pregnant women as if it's a bad thing? And I was like, I love that. I love that. No need to body shame the pregnant girls. Um, but I suppose it does resemble as if you are growing a baby in there sometimes if it's distended and it's really uncomfortable and really swollen and sore so that's very different and that would be like red flag that you probably have to look into your gut health or IBS or so on um but like main like top tip would be to start with mindful eating like a lot of people just forget that simple simple basic thing and with that comes your relationship with food it comes like neutralizing your approach to the food that you're eating and being in your rest and digest being calm take a few deep breaths slow it down chew your food properly 
basic, basic tips that nobody wants to fucking do. Like absolutely nobody wants to do. Like I remember trying to get my dad to do it before and it was really funny, like grown ass adults and trying to get him to eat slowly. And he's just like, for sure, I've done this for years. Like this, this doesn't work. So there's no need to be at this. My, my food's going to be gone cold. I need to do this quickly. I'm like, just slow it down. And um eventually he's able to do it and it's just because it's a tendency it's an urge it's a it's a it's a and and it can be based on like childhood and stuff and it can be based on like our exposure in our environment or we've been stressed before our lunch break and we're just kind of in that mode but it's just about taking that time to slow down be present in your meal take a few deep breaths come back into your body come out of your head and just just take it one 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 breath at a time one bite at a time yeah and I think that's so important because like I hear from so many people that they don't get you know time in work to eat their lunch they don't get enough time and it's it just makes it I think it's just a pure example of how fast our life is at the moment I can't cope with that like I absolutely cannot cope with clients that tell me I'm only given a half an hour and someone will come up to them on their lunch break and ask them to do something I'm like excuse me I get 30 minutes do not come near me and my food of my plate of food (laughs) Literally, I'm the exact same, and I'm like, without being rude, can you just not say like, no, <laughs> I'm entitled to this lunch break. Please leave me alone. Um, but yeah, I I find it mind blowing, and it's like again, it just goes back to this fast paced environment yeah. that we live in, that we we have today, and you know that's really interesting on the bloating and like that. Yeah, I I totally get what you mean. There's that difference of bloating at the end of the day, feeling like oh my stomach's gotten a little bit bigger, but versus I am you know like that I look like I'm nine months pregnant and I'm in severe pain or I'm just incredibly uncomfortable um if somebody is struggling coming to terms with their IBS diagnosis because I can only imagine like especially if you don't know a lot about IBS and you don't have that support from the likes of yourself you can kind of almost feel like oh my god there's something wrong with me mm. um and it, that can you know go for we've talked on um, this podcast about PCOS we've talked about you know a number of different things that people feel like oh my god there's a problem with me and you know it can be quite disheartening um I suppose this is maybe speaking from your own experience but what's your advice um that you would have for people dealing with that so self-acceptance is really really important for your journey with IBS or like any health condition especially one that changes your physical appearance and a lot of time it is linked with like you said there's something wrong with me there's something like I'm an alien I'm this that and the other there's a lot of shame around that like I would regularly walk around with some sort of jumper or bag cover covering my stomach like I would never be able to just be seen be myself feel relaxed and that's a really important factor and a lot of people will tie that sense of relaxation or calm or self-worth or feeling good within themselves on any any sort of spectrum to when they're gonna feel better or look better but that has to come first and that's the difficult part is that acceptance piece when you do not want to look like the way that you look you do not want to feel the way that you look how can you possibly accept and love a body that betrays you every single day and makes you feel like shit so it's difficult it's difficult to love a body that's inflamed or out of control but you have to start with at least being neutral so we don't have to jump to self-love but you have to stop putting yourself down even with humor (laughs) even if it's you know something that you think it's going to help you in that moment like just don't do it like just don't fucking entertain it zero tolerance for negative self-talk okay because your subconscious mind the emotions that you're not processing around that that shame you're shoving it all down 
that is all continuing to impact and keeping you in the state of dysregulation with your nervous system. So that is the biggest part, I think, at the start of anyone's journey. And it's an ongoing journey. Like, don't get me wrong. There could be like a time, a day where I've had a really stressful week and I'll try to go to the beach in a bikini and I don't feel all that great. And the thoughts can pop up of like, I'm feeling bloated, I'm feeling da, 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 whatever, but I don't entertain it. I don't allow, like you can, your thoughts, you can't control your thoughts, but you can control how you respond to your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just blindly react, believe that their thoughts are fact um, and not practice. So like mindfulness is really important for anyone with IBS because of the gut brain connection, because of regulating your nervous mm-hmm. system, any sort of deep breathing can really soothe the nerves of your gut as well. Um, but really understanding that like, there's no need for me to talk negatively about myself because your body is reacting in a certain way. And I like to think of these symptoms as like a little bit of a red flag that your body needs some attention and some loving. And if you flipped it on its head and if your friend was unwell or experiencing these symptoms, what would you say to your friend? Would you put her down? Would you be mean to her? Absolutely not. You would try and say things to make her feel better. You would do something for her. You would say, can can I help you in any sort of way? why don't we do that to ourselves we're so quick to just put ourselves down and I get it because the emotion can be linked to feeling shit or low energy or fed up or frustration but don't take that frustration out on yourself learn to process your emotions appropriately and then support yourself through that journey yeah no that's amazing and I think like that when it comes to IBS when it comes to just negative self body image or or negative um you know a mindset in general about yourself like we are in our own heads the whole time and there's this saying that kind of always every so often pops up my Instagram it's like you're in your head all the time make it a nice place Mm. and it's so true and I think the what you said about the neutrality is really important you don't have to love your you know hips and legs and thighs or or arms or whatever like you don't have to be obsessed with those things and like I'm all for you know body positivity but it's more so like you said body neutrality and body acceptance of like this is what's happening right now I'm not going to entertain the negative thoughts that I want to want to think um so no that's that's brilliant thank you so much for that that's amazing um but before we finish up I just have three rapid fire questions um I always say everybody panics the panic in people's faces I always say they're really easy questions but then you get people going oh god what do I anyways (laughs) uh, let's get into it so number one what's your favorite breakfast my favorite breakfast I'd say is some form of protein pancakes good protein pancakes though yum um who is your favorite music artist oh jesus (laughs) i'm a music gal like i have all the full range of music i love my whitney houston i love my funk i love my house and techno i love everything um i one person concert tomorrow one person one band one dj who would it be that's so hard I'm such a musical um <laughs> I don't know let's go with Whitney Houston even though she's dead yeah. I was gonna say they can be dead mine's Michael okay. Jackson so that's fine uh brilliant and lastly what's your favorite book it doesn't have to be health related it can be whatever you like hmm I'm not much of a reader I try to be a reader but it's just it's not a thing that I can do, but I think 
the people who read books and I'm like, do you have more hours than me? Because I'm like, I, and my concentration, I can like barely read three pages and I'm like done. <laughs> That's your firefly. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I can read if I want to. I just don't enjoy it really. I much, I'm a visual person. So I kind of like mm-hmm. to see things rather than just to read. Um, but I think two books that I always remember that I really loved one was Lost Connections I remember reading that years ago yeah and that was that was an eye-opener like that that was brilliant I I agree mm -hmm. with you yeah yeah that really made me feel like so I would have had depression and anxiety years ago and that really just made me feel like I'm not alone like this stuff happens in the world and like feeling other people's pain I started connecting more with empathy then when like I was so like numb within myself and like had lots of unhealed trauma but um that really helped me feel that connection that's within the world as well um another one that I loved was Dolly Alderton everything I know about love um no one's ever said two books that I've read and I to this day I read that probably about six years ago and I I cried I laughed yeah it was the best book ever I love it yeah, yeah, she's brilliant. My friend actually just went to see her in London. Um, yeah, so I've yet to catch up with her. But um, yeah, same as you. It just, she brought you through the whole journey and oh. crying, laughing, cringing at some of the stuff she was saying as well. Yeah, <laughs> you just, like, I, I read it when I was, God, probably only about 17, but I still could relate to it in a way. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't feel as much of a loser as I did before I read this book. It was just- <laughs> really really lovely I, I I need to read it again because it's it's a fab book that's mad nobody has ever said two books nobody's ever said a book that I've read actually wow. yeah. so I'm You've delighted got taste. taste yeah um brilliant well Orla thank you so much for coming on the podcast where can people find you I know you kind of mentioned at the start but just tell people again um socials podcast where are you yeah so you'll find me on instagram at the health hun um and i've got my podcast the health hun podcast and www.thehealthhun.com how did you come up with it how did you how did you come up with the health hun my friend actually helped me years ago because I was actually it just started out as a blog and I like I didn't have an Instagram page I even had the blog for like a year I didn't want to be an Instagrammer I didn't want to be a blogger but um I've since changed my tune um but I think I just was I was doing like nails then and I was into all my makeup and my tan and my lashes and then I also wanted it to be about like health so like I didn't want it started off with like gut health because I had un either had undiagnosed PCOS or just wasn't really taking it seriously. So a lot of my stuff was about good health. But for some reason, I kind of knew that it was going to expand, even though I hadn't done like my course. I hadn't, I just had this like feeling that this was going to be something. So I kept a general with health and it just has an alliteration that we love. And today I do like, I do consultation services as a standalone service as well. Um, And then I've got my one-to-one coaching and we are expanding. I will have sometime soon I'll have my relationship with food course and um I've got other things coming up as well so yeah follow over on Instagram if you're in Ireland or you're in Sydney um I'm sure I'll be doing some events throughout the year as well because I am loving doing in-person things after COVID now yeah it makes a difference doesn't it it's it's really amazing well Orla thank you so much for coming on the podcast I absolutely loved chatting to you and yeah some great advice thank you so much thank you for having me (laughs) I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Orla and took plenty of helpful tips from it. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to share it with your friends, family, or anyone else you think might find it useful as this really helps in growing the podcast. For more info, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Vicky Cornick, as well as my gym page at victory underscore fitness underscore IE. This is where you can also check out our 28 day trial that we run for half price. And lastly, if you're wanting to get updates for future episodes, which includes some incredible guests, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.